Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 24,000 is the average. And people are shocked when they see that. But when I say that, I always have to say that's the average. Like for me, in my experience, a divorce that is contested, which means people aren't agreeing to things, right? Because if people agree, you're talking $4,000. People agree, it's so much easier. But let's assume they're not agreeing on this or that. And the divorce takes like two years. They're not wealthy people. They both work W-2. They have two kids, a house, two cars. That's an easy a $50,000 case. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and you're listening to episode 95 how marriage, divorce, and death affects your dinero with family law attorney Genoveva Meza Talbot. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the things that nobody wants to talk about, right? Nobody wants to talk about getting divorced and nobody wants to talk about dying. Now, you have a 50% chance of getting divorced when you get married and you have a 100% chance of dying because nobody's figured out the fountain of youth. So these are both things that are very likely, if not 100% certain, to happen to you at some point in your life. And it's important to know how we can prevent these very common life occurrences from derailing our wealth building journeys. So whether you are newly engaged, you are already married, maybe you've got a couple of kids, we got to talk about things like prenuptial agreements, uh, postnuptial agreements, estate planning, what happens when you get divorced, how much it costs to get divorced. Y'all, it's a lot of money, by the way. Um, and also like, you know, what are the conversations that we should be having before we get married? And then estate planning, right? That's also another big part of transferring generational wealth. How are we going to ensure that the people that we actually want to get our money, get our money with as least headaches as possible. So we're going to talk about all the important documents that are part of an estate plan, why everyone should consider having an estate plan. Even if you think you don't own anything that anybody actually wants, it's about way more than that. So we've got a lot of information packed into this episode. Don't go anywhere. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Genoveva, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here talking to you again. Absolutely. So we've connected several times on Instagram and we've talked about really important topics like prenuptial agreements, divorce, and estate planning. And I can't wait to have a deeper conversation on these topics because they really do fascinate me. I think especially from the divorce and prenup side, like I don't think people really understand the financial implications of marriage. And so I want to definitely dive into that. And you're Latina. You know that there's so much stigma around conversations about estate planning. Nobody wants to acknowledge that they're going to die, even though it's <laughs> right? And so I want to definitely dive in and kind of break the stigma, the mysticism around these topics. So super excited to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Thanks. So yeah, my name is Genevieve Mesa Talbot, or if you speak Spanish, it's Genoveva Mesa Talbot. I'm an attorney in California. I've been licensed for about 18 years. And those topics you mentioned, those are my bread and butter. You know, I love advising people and helping them navigate through family law, divorces, helping them undo things or create things. And then the estate planning, I help people protect and preserve and pass on. So I love what I do. Thanks for having me again. I'm very passionate about the things that you and I have talked about because sometimes we don't have the opportunity to talk in this perspective, right? It's very transactional. You only talk to lawyers when bad things happen, but this is giving us the opportunity to talk about the flip side, which is a very preventative thing. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about your relationship with money and what that was like growing up, right? This is a money podcast, so I'm just super interested in getting to know you from that perspective. Yeah, so for me, I think I had sort of this dichotomy with money. I am an immigrant, even though my father and my grandfather were both attorneys, they were attorneys in Mexico. So just being an immigrant alone just kind of does something to your financial wherewithal. And then my father died when I was young. So my mom became a single woman in this new country managing it all. So for me, money relationship, let's see, I felt like it was something you could obtain if you just work hard. My mom was a hard worker. But again, there's limitations not knowing how things work in this country. On the flip side, though, because of where we lived and sort of my mom's connections, I also grew around a lot of wealth around me. So I was very comfortable. And so I kind of merged those. And for me, money's never been scary or something I didn't think I could have. But between actually taking the steps to get there, that's where there's been missing information. Yeah, I think that's very common in our communities, right? Like we are told go out there, get a good job, make a lot of money. But it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Absolutely. Even college and all the steps we take, right? I knew I wanted to be a lawyer like my dad and grandfather, but I was like, how exactly do you do that here? It's just missing information. And the older you are, because I'm not that young, <laughs> we had less information available to us. Mm -hmm. Like now these youngins, they can go online, they have resource after resource. That certainly wasn't the case, I think, more for the generation that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned that you have the love of law in your family. So I'd love to find out more about your career and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So as a child, everybody assumed I'd be a lawyer as when I grew up, right? Following that. And I also did. That was my goal. I was very focused. But when I got to college, for example, I did try other things to make sure I was a French major initially. So, you know, I'm trilingual as well. And so I said, maybe I'll just go that route. But it kept calling me. It kept bringing me back. And then in college, I started working at a law firm. 
One of my mom's connections helped me get a job at a law firm and then I was sold. I said, okay, I wasn't wrong. I'm going to continue. And I wasn't sure what kind of lawyer I would be. And so that is the next part of the story. You first become a lawyer or any profession, then you have to figure out your niche and what you're going to do. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Family law seems like not the first thing I think of, right? You know, like everybody's like, oh, you're going to be a prosecutor or like defense attorney, things like that. So what made you want to go into family law? Right. Every school that you go to focuses on a certain, like pushing students toward a certain career. I went to a law school that's very business corporate focused. So yes, family law was not a top of anybody's list, but it wasn't on mine either. What happened is that I've always liked helping families and kids. When I got to law school, you looked at my resume and all that. You could see, right? I was volunteering with this and I was mentoring Latinas over here. And so it was all over the place, but I just never admitted it. So what happened is I got a job when I was in law school at a law firm that was a family law firm. I'm a hard worker. I picked it up and I was going with it. And after a couple of weeks, maybe even two weeks, the law firm partner came to me and said, you really need to do this. And I said, why? He says, because you're still here. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, clearly you can handle this. A lot of people that I've hired in college and law students, after a week, they're done. They can't handle the drama. And it's a heavy, heavy area of law. So that was my first taste of it. And I can't say that I embraced that. I kind of tried to leave a few times early on. But it would keep calling me back and until I finally just accepted that I was good at it and I should stick with it. Yeah, I love it. And we need so many more people in your field that can represent us, right? Because there's very unique struggles. There's very unique challenges with like estate planning and marriage. Those are things that like are very stigmatized, right? In our Latin culture, like marriage is seen as just like this super religious, like act of God, et cetera. But it's like, okay, there's a lot of real life implications of these things that nobody wants to talk about. Everybody just focus on the love and the wedding and all that. But then nobody wants to talk about divorce. Nobody wants to talk about what happens if your spouse passes away early, like all these stuff that happens after marriage, nobody wants to talk about. And so I'm so glad that you're sharing the knowledge and giving us kind of the full picture of things that we should be talking about. Yeah, it, it is a full picture because I started just with family law, but then I added estate planning. And I think I've mentioned this before. It's the death and divorce, right? Too super heavy. And here I am in the middle of that. But I think people need to see the full spectrum of what our choices, because there are our choices, <laughs> the consequences of our choices in marriage, divorce, death. Super, super important. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's dive in. The first thing let's tackle is before marriage situation where a subject about a prenuptial agreement probably won't come up just because it's not really something that's talked about in our community, but should come up. And I'd love to know your thoughts on why this is a conversation that couples need to be having before they get married. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it doesn't come up because of the old stigma. As a culture, like you said, we have extra, like there's extra baggage to deal with on this because there's this religious undertone. There's also sometimes you just culturally just certain things that, you know, roles for women. So we have to deal with that women role and all that. That's a whole other podcast. But there's negativity attached to it. I guess that's the bottom line. There's negativity attached to talking about anything that is not joyful. And it is a joyful moment for most people when you are engaged to be married. So I think what has to happen is that we have to change it, the conversation in the narrative to make it part of the planning, right? There's about people hear this all the time about 50% of marriages end in divorce. And a lot of times they say the number one reason is because of money. But I like to think that it's not just the money itself. Money can be stressful, but it's not stressful if you and your partner are aligned. I think the part of money that causes the divorces is those conversations that have never been had. Talking about, do you pay your bills? Do you have a good credit score? What are those habits? Because once you get married in most states, you become one. And I think that people have to just realize if they want to have a good future with their partner and provide a future for children if they have it. You can't get out of it, but sometimes you can put it off a little too long. So if we just start changing that narrative about those discussions happening before, a lot of it will just work itself out, by the way. As soon as they start talking about those tough conversations, a lot of things will get worked out before the marriage. 
Excellent. So walk us through the prenup process. First off, what the hell is a prenup other than something you might have heard of in a movie that some like rich white dudes giving to (laughs) Julia Roberts or something and pretty woman? What's the actual document represent and how do you get one? Okay. So yes, that is how people know about it. And that's part of the negative stigma. There's some person trying to take advantage of another person with this document and taking away all their rights. So that's the problem. The reality is it is a contract by both people. It is an agreement, right? And I always say it is not his prenup or her prenup. It is their prenup where both people talk about these things and then decide what do they want to happen. And the process is just for legal protections and the way the law works. You do have to be represented or should, at least in California, by your own attorney because the consequences of signing it are pretty serious. So each party has their own attorney. Normally, one of the engaged people comes to me, they hire me, and they say, this is what my fiance and I want. And then, of course, I advise, right, based on the law, based on my experience. And then I put together this agreement. And then the other side, the fiance and their attorney, they discuss, you tweak it here and there until the document is something both people I mean, that's where the clincher is. Both people need to be okay with it and need to understand. And that in a nutshell is how it works. And it's not something you can do quickie. It should be a process that you take your time. There's disclosures that have to happen, at least in California, I'm sure every other state. That's a big part of it too. Besides this agreement, you have to disclose what you have assets and all your debts because you want to know what you're giving up or what you're, you know, all of that. So People have to just plan for a process to happen, just like you're planning for finding venues and doing all these other things. You need to start working on this as well. So how far ahead of a wedding should you be starting these conversations and getting this ball rolling? I would say I wouldn't wait less than six months before, because Mm -hmm. by the time one, the engaged couple decides on what they sort of want, then they hire the attorney, one of them, and then they have to discuss it. Then they get a first draft, then the other person. That's how time flies, right? So next thing you know, you're looking two months already have passed. And so just to be safe, I would say at least six months prior, if not sooner, of course, there's no reason why you can't do it sooner. Because the closer you get to your wedding, right, the busier you are. So that's what happens to a lot of people that wait. Then they just don't get it done. They had all the intentions and then things just got a little too crazy. And there's a prenup that never got finished and never got signed. And you want to prevent that. Mm -hmm. So what exactly are you covering in a prenup as far as your assets and liabilities? Okay. So with the disclosures that I was talking about, that's literally it. So both sides put together a document says, these are all the things I own. These are all my assets. If they own a house, a business, the accounts, you're just disclosing. And the debt, likewise, my car payment, a mortgage, whatever that is. That way you'll see, oh my God, they have 20 credit cards, right? All maxed out. These are discussions. So part of this disclosure is to help have those conversations, right? And have a plan together. So those are the disclosures, and they're crucial, at least in California, I assume, in other states as well. Mm -hmm. How much does a prenup cost, at least in the state of California? What's the range, right? Because that's something that if you're planning for a wedding, you already know you're spending a ton of money, and that might be a discouraging factor for folks to even be like, I'm not even going to bother with this. Yeah. So it does depend on where you live, state, city, community, all of that, right? The last time I looked at some statistics, they said something about, $3,000. That being some sort of average. So you all know how averages work. For us in California, I would say probably that's the lower end. That's where it starts and it goes up based on how long the back and forth happens, right? The experience of the lawyer. So you have to plan on a couple of thousand dollars. But remember, the reason that you have to invest in something like this is because the consequences of that document, I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands potentially of dollars that are game, right? So yeah, we don't charge by a percentage of how much you have. It's just a matter of the experience of the lawyer, as well as how complex the document is, which is about how long it takes to put it together. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's talk about the consequences of not having a prenup. (laughs) What is kind of the overall divorce process for a couple that doesn't have a prenup and one that does? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. All right. So first of all, you need to understand people that are listening that most states, whether it's uh, community property or the 50-50 states that you hear about, like California or a separate property state that is not, there's still things that happen automatically when you get married. So I'm going to talk about community property because that's what I know. And in that kind of a state, as soon as you get married, every dime that you earn is 50-50, regardless of whose blood, sweat, and tears is behind it. If you start a business, it's 50-50. All of the things just become community marital property. Same goes for debt. So you have a big spender that likes to buy expensive things and get in a lot of debt. Now that debt is 50-50, right? So that's what happens just when you get married. So what happens if, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the couple's going to get a divorce? Well, one of the things in your last question is you asked kind of what things you can cover. And really most prenups, the things you cover are dollars is what I say. It's about money. So you cover about who is going to pay for what, whose debt is whose, can you create things together, does everything stay separate? It's all about money. Normally, like in California, there's no point in trying to come up with agreement about your kids or custody or that because a court's going to say, yeah, nice try. No, we look at things when they happen. So if a couple doesn't have a prenup and they are going to go through a divorce, everything's on the table. And depending on the law in your state, like the 50-50 community property, that's exactly what's going to happen. And this is why divorces get so heated. It's not because they're complicated. Like you can take a bank account and know how to divide it in half. But what happens when one party says, well, I don't feel like that should be the way it's divided because I'm the one that was working overtime and blah, blah, blah. So without a prenup, you're looking at the law being the law. And the only way you can get out of the 50-50, for example, is by agreement. And most people don't love each other and aren't ready to have these great agreements when they're going through a divorce. So that's how it gets expensive and drawn out and all that. Now, if you have a prenup, you've already pre-negotiated a lot of this. Not to say there's no chance that there's somebody kind of having seller's remorse or buyer's remorse, right? They're going to try to say, no, 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 I don't want that. It wasn't fair, right? So you do have that possibility. But normally, most people realize this is pre-negotiated. This is exactly why we did this when we were in love and happy. If they want to change it, they can. But at least, you know, it kind of takes out a lot of the elements that would have normally been hashed out in a divorce. They're already been pre-negotiated. Okay. So we talked about the cost of a prenup. What is the typical cost of a divorce? 
Yeah. So again, just like the prenup, it depends on where you live and all of that and your attorney. However, I pulled the stats recently and it was about 24,000 is the average. And people are shocked when they see that. But when I say that, I always have to say that's the average. Like for me and my experience, a divorce that is contested, which means people aren't agreeing to things, right? Because if people agree, you're talking $4,000. It's just people agree it's so much easier, but let's assume they're not agreeing on this or that. And the divorce takes like two years. They're not wealthy people. They both work W-2. They have two kids, a house, two cars. That's an easy a $50,000 case. Obviously, there's attorneys that are less an hour and some are more. I think that the more experienced attorney, the better and faster things should be resolved, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, a lot of us have trouble putting that in perspective. I think it's important people to know divorces can be very expensive. So when you look at that and look at an investment of like a prenup, right, or just trying to negotiate a divorce without a prenup, you should be asking your attorney, really, how much is this really going to take? Not just this week, this month like from now until whenever this is done. Yeah. So what about those billboards that I drive by that it's like $400 <laughs> like quickie divorce? What the hell are those? Those are <laughs> embarrassing to our profession. <laughs> but yeah, it's really frustrating. And we call it the Susie Orman effect sort of really. What it's doing is it's making people have a skewed perception of how much our legal services are worth, but also how easy or not things are. So those are normally... What they're not telling you, sometimes there's all these hidden fees that they haven't, they're telling you like one part of the one thing that they're charging you for. That's one thing. So it's very salesy, very marketing, nothing against sales and marketing, but it's done in a way to deceive. Okay. But the other thing too, if there is a lawyer out there that promises to do an uncontested divorce for just dirt cheap, I rest assured the attorney isn't doing anything. He's got an assistant or a paralegal that is basically your lawyer doing all the paperwork. So again, there are attorneys that can do uncontested work for much more affordable. I do that because not every case should go to court. Actually, the majority of cases shouldn't go to court. But yeah, so those billboards are so deceiving, unfortunately, and they really do damage to people's perceptions of this whole process. Kind of predatory, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What if you have a situation where the spouse just like disappears? Like you can't even serve them divorce papers because you have no idea where they are. Oh, no. And that happens a lot. That also happens in different states with the deportations, for example, or just they want to get out of responsibilities, <laughs> male or female for that matter. So every state like California has a process for that, that you can still get a divorce in a no fault state, which California is no fault means that I think it was the early 70s in California, you used to have to prove a reason for wanting a divorce. They did away with that. This is where you watch the old movies where there's like a detective, right? And they're like, she was cheating on me. And that actually was used in court. Now it doesn't matter. And that's hard for people to understand. They're like, they want to tie their emotions to the money. So there is a process because this happens a lot. You have to like publish in the newspaper, whatever city that you knew they were in. So there's definitely a process. Don't let that stop you. If you're in that situation, every state should have this process. It might be a little bit more expensive. It might be a little longer, but of course they're not going to keep you married if the other person's just gone. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right. So what's one of the biggest mistakes that you think people make during a divorce? It's not as super specific, but I think it's every case is the emotions. And I know it's hard to separate your emotions from what's happening because unfortunately, or fortunately, you can get a divorce as long as one person wants to get a divorce. And so if you're the person that wants to get a divorce, you have certain emotions. If you're the person that doesn't want a divorce, there's certain emotions. But when you put all that together, it just makes very simple transactional things like dividing a bank account much more complicated. And unfortunately, there's attorneys out there that take advantage of all that emotion and sometimes add fuel to the fire. Many don't. We're supposed to be the level-headed people. We're supposed to be the unemotional, helping these two poor individuals dissolve what they created, but it's not always the case. So if I look at every type of example of a case gone wrong, it's because of emotions that were blinding one or two of the parties. Mm-hmm. And last question before we move on to estate planning, what are some of your best tips for 
finding a lawyer to represent you, whether it's for a prenup or for a divorce? Like, what are some of the things you should look for? And what are some of the things that you should stay away from? Yeah, I think going back to the pricing issue, I'm not saying that there are not fabulous attorneys in certain small towns that are charging little. But normally, I think to me, it's a red flag when it just seems too good to be true, right? Because what that means normally is that that attorney will not really be involved in the case as much. With few exceptions, you want that guidance, you want that advice and the attorney being involved in your case, or at least an attorney, right? Sometimes we do have other attorneys work for us. But the other thing to look at, and going back to how much a divorce costs, how much a prenup, is an attorney that doesn't hold back talking about costs. I am a big advocate for transparency. And if you try to get an estimate, yes, as attorneys, we're always saying it depends, right? And it's true. But we can certainly give a range of, well, if it goes in this direction, it could be about this. If an attorney refuses and they just say, don't worry about that, just give me 2000 and I'm your lawyer, right? I think that there's a lot of missing information there because that is not going to cost $2,000. And I think that it's disingenuous for a lawyer to keep that information from you. You need to budget. You need to plan. And it'll motivate you, in my opinion, to know that what you're trying to fight about is going to cost you $30,000. I think it might motivate you to think otherwise. Yeah, that's excellent advice. (laughs) All right. So I feel like we have been schooled on the process of prenups and divorce and Now I want to turn to the other aspect of things, which is like end of life planning, estate planning, again, something that has a lot of mysticism and stigma around in our culture. I know I had this conversation recently with my parents, they just turned 60 and I'm like, guys, we got to figure out what's happening. Like y'all got property. You have, I don't know where any of your stuff is. I don't know (laughs) what accounts you have and I'm supposed to be responsible for this stuff. So let's have a conversation. So first off, like what is estate planning? Yeah. So estate planning is two things in summary. I mean, the first and most obvious one is death planning. That's what people think of. So planning for death, that's having the legal documents that you need, the instructions, having the people ready. Like you said, you, everybody informed on what they need to do, right? So that is um, the most, the primary sort of estate planning definition. But to me, estate planning, and for most attorneys that do this on a daily basis, estate planning will also include incapacity planning. Because again, you're trying to preserve. Our whole goal as an estate planning attorney is to preserve and pass on, right? So if we don't cover this situation that happens to, I think this it's 80% of us go through some sort of incapacity in our lives. So if you don't plan for that moment that you might be alive but not healthy, guess what happens to that preserving part, right? That's where money is not preserved assets, things going to foreclosure. I mean, you can really essentially make your whole estate go down to nothing if you didn't plan for that. So estate planning should include death planning and incapacity planning and have those documents work together to cover all the bases. Okay. So let's get into the documentation that comprises a complete estate plan. What are those essential documents? Yes. The essential documents, um, if you are a single person, let's just do that. And the biggest difference is if you're single or married, but also if you have children or not. Those are kind of the big things we look at. But the incapacity documents should be everyone, no matter what. And those documents are, and every state calls them a little different, but it's called in California, the Advanced Health Care Directive, which is basically a medical power of attorney. That document is the one that basically gives power to somebody you trust and people you chose to make medical decisions when you can't, right? Those are those important things. And for those people that have lots of kids, this is a huge one to prevent lots of heartache and fighting among the kids, right? The telenovela, the super sad stuff that happens. That's what this document prevents because you have a chance to say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. And these are the people I gave the authority to do this. So that's huge, whether you're married, single, um, have kids or no kids. And if you're single, I would almost want to say this is even more important because there isn't like a default person, right? Like your spouse default to do this for you. So that's the first one. The other one is the financial sort of 
power of attorney. So that one, same thing, you're choosing a person or two or however there's different options that has power to manage more of your financial affairs. You can get real specific with it, really broad. If you're married, it's still helpful because there are certain things that every institution has their rules. So it's better to just say, yes, I authorize my spouse to change this or not change this or have authority. But you know, if you're not married, again, there's no default person there that can just call up your mortgage and say, yeah, I'm the spouse. I We need to deal. No. So that power of attorney is very important. Now, normally, if you're healthy now, we would make them so that they don't activate until and if you're incapacitated. Some people that have more aging parents sometimes make them activate like immediately because you're already handling stuff for the parents. And a lot of in our culture, right, we do a lot of things for our parents by pretending to I'm not even going to go there, but you know what we do. Yes, I am my mother. Yes. (laughs) So we get away with it because they're healthy. But what happens if they're not? And we still have to deal with the things that they can't deal with. So the financial power of attorney, the medical power of attorney, however it's called in your state, those are the essentials. I also provide for my clients or give the option of a HIPAA. If everybody, if anybody's familiar, HIPAA, when you go to the doctor, you're always signing HIPAA documents. Well, what is it saying? They're so strict now. This, you know, it wasn't always the case, but now they can't just talk to anybody about your medical anything. So I provide this document so you can list people there. They don't have power to make decisions, but they can talk to your nurses. They can talk to the doctors. So think about what, what are the things that can go wrong if you were ever God forbid, in a coma. And I try to cover those things. So those are the incapacity ones. Okay. So now the death planning basics, the will. I mean, every adult over 18. I know people think this is the number one talk, going back to the culture talk. Everybody thinks I have nothing. Oh, I only have, you know, a house. Oh, I have nothing to give, to pass on, right? Whatever. But you need a will. Because you have something and what people have to understand that when you die, you cannot still own something. I know that's a simple, weird, but so think about a will basically takes things that are in your name and gives authority for a process to change them to somebody else. So a will, number one. Now, a living trust is sort of the gold standard. Every state is a little different because depending on the laws is whether or not it's more beneficial I can't imagine that it's not beneficial to have it in any state, but in some states, it's even more. And in California, it's definitely the gold standard because at least in California, for example, it avoids probate. So if you have a living trust, you get to sort of go around the legal process when you die for the most part, and you empower people to be what you hear those trustees, a trustee of a trust. They have this power now to do those things like distribute your things, change title, do all the things. So They work together. It's not one or the other. So even people with a trust also get a will and they work together. All these documents should work together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is the kind of benefit of having the trust and the will, right? Because I think that's the question that people are just, they always hear about the last will and testament and they think that that covers everything. Yeah. And it does do what you want it to do. So a last will and testament does what you want. It says who gets what, how do they get it? Yes, that's true. And if you have kids, by the way, minors under 18, a will is super important because that's where you designate guardians. So if you have minors, you can say, these are the people that I would want to raise them. These are the people that I would want to manage their money. So super important. The benefit of a living trust is that we're talking, I mentioned probate. So probate, every state is different, right? So California is not known to have a great probate process. By that, I mean, it takes about a year and a half to two. That one is one of those where the court basically authorizes that the administrator or the attorney handling the probate get a cut, a percentage off of the whole thing. So you're in California, if you've got 500,000 in gross your gross estate is only 500000 which is not a lot. It's easy with a house, right? You're paying, what, maybe $40,000 in legal fees and administrator fees, right? So it's like, it only goes up, right? It only goes up. It incrementally goes up. So the reason that you want to have a living trust is because you avoid that process of a year and a half or two. It's a court process. You basically are allowing, because even when you have a will, the judge still has to supervise everything that happens. 
They have to say, yes, okay, that's good. Yes, now you can sell the house. They have to authorize that. But there's the fees, like I said, but a living trust, they don't have to supervise anything. Like it's so powerful, right? It's just taking it out of the court and you privately are saying, no, no, no. Rather than the court, I trust this person to do all these things for me. And, and, you know, yes, there's some costs involved because normally people, they're not experts at this. They'll hire an attorney like me to help them administer, but nothing compares to the cost and stress and all that of probate. That's the Mm -hmm. biggest. Yeah. That's really good information to know. Now I'm curious how an estate plan and like a prenup meet up or interact with each other. Yeah, that is a great question. So So the prenup allows you to negotiate things like, do you want your finances to be community, right? So let's assume that the number one reason most people get a prenup is because they don't. So they might not get really extreme with it, but they might say, well, I want my money that I make to stay mine. And I want this house that I had before we got together to stay mine. And, you know, those sorts of things. So assuming you do the prenup and you're sort of, taking away the California law, for example, right to make everything go back together. So you've done that already. Now you're married. Now his stuff is his stuff. Her stuff is her stuff. But you know, you need to also figure out what's going to happen when we die. Do you want it to stay that way? And most people don't. So then they say, okay, now I do my estate plan. And in my estate plan, they usually say, if we're married for five years and I die, they can get this much. So they take it away and then they give it a little back. (laughs) But it it prevents if you only do estate planning, which is fine, you do a you can have a lot of control, but nothing beats having the combo of both things to really control those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Good to know. So I'm curious, what has been your experience with like people struggling to bring up estate planning with their family, right? Because I'm sure you probably get approached by maybe some younger people in a family, and they're just like, I want to have this conversation with my mom and dad don't know how to get the conversation going. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. The way I've always described estate planning is a gesture of love. And if you approach it that way to your parents, for example, and say, look, it is your basically like your last love gift to me to get this organized so that me and my brother and sister don't have to stress or figure out what to do. And that money that you worked so hard to put together in that house, we don't have to pay a cut to the court and the lawyers. I think that is the best way because it is an investment, right? So it's not going to cost $500, but you're going to save, you know, what did I say? 40,000, 50, it just goes on. But I think when you approach with the parents or even grandparents, that's a soft spot for a lot of, you know, you're like, let's leave this so you can leave something for the grandparent, the grandkids. If you just approach it as a, a, a sort of a love thing, I think that goes a long way because estate planning is about love. Honestly, if you don't care about anybody and you don't really love anybody, you're like, I don't care. I'm not going to do an estate plan. Let everybody figure it out. Right. <laughs> so I think that's the best way to get in on that conversation. And then, then you can get into the details, but as long as they understand why you do it, how, and all that, that's what I have to figure out. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So what are the logistics once you have a trust in place for changing the ownership of something from your individual name into the trust? Yeah, that's great. So that is the last part, but not the last thing to talk about with a lawyer. So when we talked about some of the lawyers that do these really cheap, quickie things, these are the sorts of things that I think get missed. And I know that because they come to me later and they show me what those lawyers did. And I said, and I see the big, huge gaps and holes. And one of those is what you just said. So you create this document, right? Which is this powerful legal document. But it's just a document. There's like, you have to attach your things to them. So for example, with the house, the most common reason why people get a living trust. So you have your living trust and then you have to put your house in the trust, people say. What you're really doing is you're connecting it to your trust. You're saying you create new deeds and the deeds have special language that said, yes, if we die, the trustee is actually the one that's going to manage this property according to my trust. So what happens a lot is these poor people go to these quickie seminars, get a free lunch, whatever. They get a binder and they just say, okay, good job. Good luck. You know, put things in your trust. People don't know. And so what happens when they actually die, 
the document's not doing what they thought it was doing. Let's put it that way. So the, you have to work with an attorney. Like there's clients that do feel competent doing it themselves and that's okay. But an attorney should guide you, give you instructions. Like you need to know what you're doing or what you're not doing. So very important, very, very important that just that document alone doesn't do what you want it to do without all these extra things that happen toward the end of the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes so much sense. So I'm hearing do not go on like legal Zoom and download some <laughs> templates and think that you have a thoroughly vetted, robust estate plan. That is right, because I have seen, I mean, I basically have to do everything over again when they come to me with those. It yeah. is just a hot mess. And, yeah. you know, thankfully they came to me before they, you know, it wasn't the kids saying my dad died, my mom died, here's the estate plan they got off LegalZoom. And you know, I'm sure LegalZoom can be good for some things, but I haven't seen great stuff come across my desk for estate planning. And some things you can't undo. Let's just put it that way. So definitely get some competent legal advice. <laughs> yes. Where's a good place to find reputable attorney to represent you in these sort of scenarios? The number one way is referrals, right? Ask around. Really ask around. I mean, most attorneys that are, like you said, reputable and, you know, we depend and we our firms depend on referrals. Why? Because we do a good job. Our clients know that and they refer us out. But if nobody said to you, hey, <laughs> I know this great, you know, why would you talk about this? Nobody talks about estate planning, right? It's a little taboo. We need to work on that. But ask around. That is the best way to get this one-on-one -on -one hand, you know, recommendation. But if that's not the case, you should contact your local attorney state bar. A lot of uh, people in the community just generally don't even know what that is. So um and it's important that you get familiar with that because that's where you find out if the attorney's been sued, if they, you know, all of that. And, and I'm surprised at how many people have no idea that there's a way to check certain basics on an attorney. So first referrals and second, if not, your contact your local, it's called the state bar of whatever your state is, and ask for a list of attorneys. Um, usually they can separate it by type of things they do and, and kind of start there. This conversation has been amazing. So insightful for folks that want to find out more about you, potentially work with you if they're based in California, where's the best place to find you? I have a website with all my contact information. It's my, the name of my law firm, which is Mesa Talbot Law. I'm also on Instagram at Attorney Mesa Talbot and Facebook as well, though I'm not as active there. So you go to my website, you'll see all the things that I do. You'll find out how you can book a consultation. Most of us, by the way, most of those attorneys we talked about that have experience and things like that, we charge for consultations. That's something that people have to get used to. Why? Because we are giving, we are stopping what we're doing to give you our undivided attention, letting you pick our brain. And there's certain liability even that goes with it. So don't be afraid to invest in a consultation with an attorney because I bet you're going to get a lot more value than getting those, the free ones in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. And you're definitely going to save yourself from legal drama because I find that the ramifications of legal issues are always more expensive than doing the preventative work that you can do with an attorney to plan for the things that may inevitably happen, right? Absolutely. And and I'll say in the divorce part, for example, um, for the first 15 years of my practice, I did litigation. So I always said, when shit hit the fan, that's when I would, right? Um, now my practice, I don't do litigation anymore. I've been able to, and now I do mediation, preventative things. My goal is to keep people out of family court and out of probate court. That's it. And that changes the way that I do everything. Um, and I'm always trying to make sure people understand that there's two ways to go about it. Going to court is the last thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Genevieve, this has been an amazing conversation. I have a feeling this is going to resonate with a lot of people because it's a topic that really doesn't get talked about a lot in the personal finance community. But the fact is that marriage, divorce, estate planning, all that stuff affects your money. And the sooner you realize it, the sooner you can be proactive about these really big monumental moments in life and planning for the inevitable, you know? Yeah. And I, I thank you for giving me sort of the forum to talk about it because you're absolutely right. Every time I would go to some sort of event for women, this and that, this was never talked about. And I actually now am trying to change that. And it takes people like you that actually connect the dots to say, okay, so you're hustling to do your business. You're hustling all this. 
but there's no talk about protecting it, about, you know, passing it on. I mean, it should be, but I know why it's not, but it should be part of everything that we do, like checking our life insurance, you know, going on, getting our wellness exams, right? Getting our estate planning, making sure all this stuff is done. So thank you for connecting the dots. It doesn't happen a lot. Believe me, I've talked to some people that just don't see it. <laughs> but and for helping me spread the word on this, I think it's it's a passion of mine, but it also is a great service to the community and especially our communities. I think we have extra obstacle there. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much for being an important voice in this space. And uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of light bulb moments for folks <laughs> that are listening to this podcast. So thank you. All right. Mission accomplished then. All right. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.